Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Podcast humans, thank you for deciding to consume this audio content centered around independent music. And this episode is really special for me because this is the literal first live podcast I have ever done. I did this a couple of weeks back at the Almighty Outbreak Fest in Manchester, over in England. I can't even begin to tell you how amazing that festival was, but I'm going to try. So first and foremost, let me tell you who is on the show. I mean, clearly you can read, so you already identified it. But we got Nate from Zabalba and Brian from Knocked Loose, both previous guests of the show. So that posed an interesting challenge for me. I was like, okay, well, I can't ask them the same questions that I asked them on their previous podcast, or at least I, my desire was to not go down that road. So um, yeah, it was interesting because we were able to kind of, you know, provide some information and intel for the people who were literally there at the music festival deciding to sit down and consume a live podcast. And then I also wanted to make sure that it was obviously entertaining. So I know a lot of the times if you see a live podcast pop up in your feed, you're like, Oh, this isn't going to be very good because the person, the you know, host has to quote unquote entertain the people who are are there in front of them. And I really, really tried to keep that in mind because I as much as I wanted to be entertaining and enjoyable for the people there, I wanted it to be entertaining and enjoyable for you. So I realize I'm probably sharing way too much of what's in my head, but you know, that's what we're all here doing, or maybe I'm here doing and you're receiving, but you get it. But anyways. So Nate from Zabalba and Brian from Knock Loose, they both played Outbreak Fest. Uh, I got to watch a few songs from both of their sets. And um, first of all, one of the best run hardcore festivals I've ever been a part of. Just from the organization and the way the stages were set up, it was just absolutely beautiful. And uh, it made the vibes 
very good there at that festival. I can't tell you how many people were um, either coming up to me saying how much they either enjoyed playing the festival or attending it. I just, I was just frankly shocked (laughs) because I don't know, I'm me personally, maybe I'm coloring my opinion of music festivals very clearly through the point of view that I used to do a few years of Sound and Fury as far as the, you know, booking and show running and all that sort of stuff. And man, it was a hard bunch of work. And I, uh, I, I don't envy that. I'm really glad that I passed that in my life because it was a very stressful couple of years that I was uh, running that with my best friend, Joey. And, um, but anyways, the Music Fest was amazing. These live podcasts I found incredibly fun and people showed up. I was really worried. And Nate was the very first discussion I did for that Friday of the music festival. I was really nervous that I was like, oh, cool. It's going to be me and Nate talking and then like maybe three people watching. But that was never the case. And I was really, really stoked on that. So anyways, I'm going to bring the conversation with Nate to you right now. We talked a lot about the band being, you know, just kind of this sort of festival band. They play shows when they want to, and it's at a very comfortable space for Nate, and it's awesome, and I think he's a really uh, interesting and compelling individual. And then I'll take a little break and then transition into the conversation with Brian, and uh, yeah, I'll talk to you in a few moments. So here is my discussion with Nate from Zabalba. first guest yeah i'll be the test dummy it's chill <laughs> yeah we can chill out in these nice couches with these plants it's definitely a lot cooler in here than it is inside it's fucking hot <laughs> it's brutal in there well first of all good set thank you you um this was your how many times you've been over to the uk i think this is our sixth or seventh time so yeah you should you should have a crowd here now <laughs> maybe. maybe maybe i don't know but I think the first thing I wanted to ask you was the idea that Zabalba, in general, doesn't play... You know, you guys are not a full-time touring band. No, not at all. I think nowadays it's more of a novelty. And it's, gonna be, it's becoming more or less and less just because of life and work and family. Uh, we still, you know, we talk about hanging it up every once in a while. But, uh, you know... It's pretty fucking cool to be able to travel and play a show here and there. Yeah. But as the years pass by, it's definitely less and less. Right. So uh, it's, it's still really cool to do it. But uh, so we'll probably be back in another five years, maybe. Right, yeah. <laughs> you you got to find your time. And I think that's, to me, that's what makes when you do play shows eventful, where it's like, you know, playing a festival like this is cool because people haven't seen you in a couple of years, especially in front of this many people. And even people who are not familiar with Zabalba would be like, oh my gosh, my friends are into them. I need to check them out because who the hell knows when they're going to be back. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's an exciting factor. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I know this sounds selfish, but uh, for us to play shows, it's, it's solely for us now. Yeah. It's not necessarily about playing to a crowd. Um, you know, the, we've been in the same band together for 15 years, the same people, same friends. So it's, it's a fucking uh, an excuse to hang out with my friends. While I do appreciate people that support the band um, now as an adult, 
it's you know one of the few times I get to actually spend time with my friends, you know. Right, right, and you get to yell into a microphone. Yeah, <laughs> and you obviously get to show off your mustache as well. I know, huh? It's good. Huh? How how long have you had that mustache now? I did it as a joke. <laughs> this guy I work for, he's like, "Yo, we should grow mustaches," and I grew out the mustache because it was just funny. Yeah. And then I shaved it off once. And then, like, everybody's like, you look like a fucking child. <laughs> and I was like, I, you know. So I kept it because it is age appropriate. Sure. <laughs> you, are, you can grow a mustache. And, I mean, and you also, I appreciate it. Obviously, it's great that we're talking about a mustache for a podcast. I mean, the people here can see it. But <laughs> it, it's sort of like a handlebar. Yeah, it used to go all the way down here. But I'm not trying to look that Mexican, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, you're like I don't want to confuse people too much. You, know? <laughs> um, you have a background for those uh, those people that aren't aware. You have done a lot with show production, working at venues, also putting on the For the Children Festival, which you've done for. Remind me how many years you've done For the Children? I believe it's twelve years now. Yeah, twelve years. And for those that aren't familiar, For the Children is a festival in Southern California where not only does Nate bring a bunch of great bands to play, but then on top of it, he does a toy drive. So when you go to the festival, you buy the ticket, and then on top of it, you bring a toy, uh, or you contribute financially. It's an awesome thing, and I'm not just saying that because you're on stage, but it's a really, really cool thing that is providing a lot of uh, support to the community and people who might not even have any idea what (laughs) hardcore punk is, and it's like, Wow, now I have a Christmas because of that. Anyways. Yeah, so good, it's fun. Give it up for Nate and for the children on that one. The idea that because you have run so many different festivals of varying size, what was kind of like the biggest, either the biggest or most eventful show for you from a personal perspective of like, wow, I can't believe that this happened. I can't believe this many people showed up or I can't believe how many toys we gave, whatever. When I say that, what kind of comes to your mind? Uh, do you mean like just like for the band, like Zabalba? Uh, yeah, either Zabalba or the shows that you've put on yourself. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really crazy because after pandemic, there was this kind of like resurgence in like music in general. So, you know, nowadays, a lot of places you travel to Hardcore is not that big, you know. You go to most places, it's you see the same 100, 200 people in general. So Los Angeles, every show that you play now, it's a 1,000 people. And, you know, to me, it's pretty surreal because 5, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, yep. there was never that many people. A, a big show was 300 people. Oh, huge. When, so, when the, there was a venue, I remember you talking about this. There's a venue in Southern California where Nate and I are both from called the glass house it's a place called or it's a place in pomona california and i remember when a local band of ours that many of you are probably familiar with throwdown they played and they sold out the glass house and i remember being like that's like 500 people that's insane yeah anyways i just remember you saying that triggered so no yeah it's crazy to think that like nowadays at least in la a normal show could be a thousand two thousand people not a festival you know yep so I don't know how that happens, but uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see that growth. Yep. And, uh, you know, give it up to all, there's, there's all these young bands that are playing here today, too, or this weekend, you know, Drain, Scowl, a uh, bunch of young bands that are just 
smoking these shows, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it came from a place when we first started playing shows. The first, when we first started touring and playing shows, we actually had to make demos and CDs and zines. And, uh, you know, the way you found out about music was through paper zines or, like, ordering records from a fucking zine. Yeah. To me, you know, you know, I have to order a record and I hopefully get it. Hopefully, <laughs> they'll take fingers. my money. Victory has taken a lot of my money. Yes. So, but yeah, it can't. You know, can't, coming from a time and place that we that was hardcore to us to nowadays, it's it's so accessible. And while some people may see it in a, in a negative manner, I think it's really fucking cool that people like hardcore bands, like straightish bands, like alternative type of music. Because it wasn't ever meant to be, well, it was never meant to be something huge. It's something that, to me, it's a lot healthier to like hardcore or punk rock music than some bullshit lyrics from fucking little something or whatever, you know? (laughs) To To me, hardcore and punk rock has a lot more meaning. It's a lot more worthwhile than some shit you hear on the radio. So the fact that a thousand kids are going to shows and give a fuck about this is, is pretty cool to me. Yeah. No, it's very well put. Because I think there's that idea, especially as you get older in punk and hardcore, the idea of gatekeeping and making sure people... It's like, oh, yeah, like this needs to be my band. Like, I think that exists less and less now, where people celebrate, like, you know, a band that is a prime example, Turnstiles playing on Sunday. The fact that they get on late-night shows in America you know, playing on national television. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's awesome. You know, watching that band grow from where they started to now, like, you know, as a friend, as a, as a fan, you're just sitting there cheering them on because it's like, fuck yes. Yeah. You know, like, I'm so stoked they're doing well and not some, some bullshit, you know? It's, it's to see something naturally grow and get to where it's at, it's, it's pretty rad. And it's yeah. not some record label putting some fucking boy band together you know <laughs> yeah it's true it's very true the w- on that tip the idea that you know hardcore doesn't look from a demographic perspective just like a bunch of me's you know a bunch of straight white males that are going to a show <laughs> jumping yeah. on top of each other the fact that there's way more diversity now not only in the people playing music but the people who are attending shows and you, obviously, as uh, you know, Hispanic descent, and clearly the band has been <laughs> very vocal about yeah. your heritage. Hell yeah. How have you seen that evolve? Like, was it initially when Zabalba started that people were just like, Mexican hardcore, that's crazy? Yeah. Or like, how, how did that kind of change over time? I, I mean, I don't think it really changed over time, but it's, it's funny. Me and Walter talked about it from riding out. Yeah. When when we first started going to shows, seeing your band, <laughs> seeing Throwdown, and seeing like you know the whole Donnybrook era side of things, it was a very it was a very Caucasian prominent music yes. scene. Yep. So, you know, we used to go to punk rock shows in the in backyards. We used to go to hardcore shows, but uh, it was it was cool to be able to see that kind of naturally grow over time. I'm not saying we started it, but like. When us and Rotting Out started playing a lot of shows, you know, there's more brown people at shows in LA than there is white people, right. and uh, you know, it's 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 cool to make it accessible to different walks of life. You know, yep. it's you go to a show in LA, there's literally every walk of life, every type, every sex, every 
everything you want to be or whatever you want to be is very welcomed where I don't know how it is here in Europe but when when we were younger going to shows it was it was pretty common to walk into a room in Orange County and see a bunch of Nazis that shit doesn't fly no more you know like nowadays you're never going to see that because it has grown into such a multicultural space that 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 shit doesn't exist no more you know yeah no, it's, be- it's beautiful where the idea that, like you said, even though you did not start Zabalba to be this type of band, you just were playing with your friends. And then once people started to see themselves represented on stage, where it's just like, oh, yeah, like my dumb ass can play in a band. Yeah. It's like, why, yeah. why, 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 don't, why don't you? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really cool to see that, man. Um, and it's also cool to like uh, be able to travel and play places where... You know, you, you you see different walks of life or, or cultures, and you talk about it with people. Yeah. But it, it also, in the same sense, it's it's kind of funny because I I understand that you know everybody in the band mostly looks like this big Mexican dude. <laughs> we were supposed to play Brazil, and Brazil, the promoter is like, "Hey, man, like we're kind of scared because you guys are all cholos." <laughs> and I'm like, "What? <laughs> like, what are you talking about?" Right. But, you know, a lot of, you know, more often than not, you know, people conceive a physical view or whatever, make a perception of it yep. that, that it's not, you know. So while, yes, we are a very proud Latino band, yep. that's, we're just like everybody else, you know. Absolutely. Um, we're not cholos. <laughs> I just, I lo- so do you guys ended up not going to Brazil because they were a little too? No. It, it's, it's happened to us twice in Brazil, and then it happened to us in Russia, where like the promoters like yo like they just like afraid because you guys are gang members. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? And then like the, one of the band was like some like nationalist band. I was like, yo, I'm not playing with this fucking band, dude. Right. Like, how do you think this is gonna mix? Yeah, this is not <laughs> right. This is not cool. They're so, talking about hating people that are not white. Clearly, we are not white, so that's not going to work. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's funny. It's it's pretty funny to hear some of the the judgments and uh, what people pe- expect. People think of us sometimes. <laughs> and I know that you have you've toured Central America before, though, correct? Yeah, it's right. crazy. Yeah, and tell tell me about those shows because I know you guys have done. You've gone down there more than once to play, or have you only done one? No, we've gone there several times. Okay. You know, uh, going to places like here, it's a first world, you know, it's a first world country and it's, uh, it's, it's easy, it's accessible to play a show. It's easy to, you know, save the money to do or to play a show. We did a run through all of Central America and uh, it almost like, brought, like we're sitting there like trying to sell merch, um, collecting money, they're paying for our fees, whatever it may be. Yeah. And then to like kind of listen to somebody and be like, yo, I'm really excited to see your band. We've been saving money for the whole year to pay your $100 of, of merch. Like, right. And then you kind of like, you talk to these people and like, yo, like how much, how much do you guys get? Like, how much do you make it a day? Right. And we were in El Salvador and they're like, yo, you know, we make maybe a couple dollars a day. So in that run, we're like, dude, I can't take these people's money, man. Right. You're like, we're just going to give our merch out. take this shit, dude. Like, <laughs> right. the fuck? Yeah. 
yeah, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, we, like, yeah, it's like, dude, I can't, like, and, and it, like, to me, that was some of my favorite shows because it was such a surreal process to get there. Uh-huh. We took all public transportation from TJ all the way to fucking El Salvador, to Costa Rica. It was literally kids that were, like, pick us up in, like, their trucks. You know, in Guatemala, we stayed at, like, uh, this kid's, like, family's house. And his mom's like, yo, like, you can sleep in my bed. And I was like, dude, it, like... <laughs> yeah, you're like, no, I can't do that, ma'am. I can't. I was like, I can't, I can't do that. But it was one of the most heartwarming experiences for us. Right. Where, like, the fact that we're playing shows here is, is crazy. But the fact that people tried so hard to make it happen. Right. Um, it was... It, it's, it's fucking wild. Well, you made, to your point... They made the effort. Like, I think that's where, like you're talking about, where a lot of places that are first world countries, they expect shows to be there. They expect shows to happen. But it's like when you go to a place that most shows don't happen and those people are like, thank you for coming. And you're like, you're thanking me? You're at the show. Like, what's the... <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It's, it's to this day the craziest tour I've ever done. When we played El Salvador, our set lasted two songs and then guns got pulled out. <laughs> Guns got pulled out yeah. <laughs> in, in the show or outside the show, and they oh, came no. in right in front of us. Right. <laughs> so, so you decided at that point it might not be good to play more songs. No, so <laughs> I was obviously I was obviously a little tossed. I, sure. I've been drinking all day, and you know, a fight breaks out. Guns got pulled out, and I mean, we live in LA. Shit, there's guns everywhere. Yeah, but like the band was like, all right, we got to stop playing. Our guitar player puts his guitar over his face. He's like, as long as I don't get shot in the face. And then I'm like, this is probably the stupidest thing I've ever done because I'm trashed. And this guy's pointing the gun at us. And I would just like walk up to him. I slap the gun. I'm like, we're going to keep playing shows. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then everybody's like, what is wrong with you, dude? Right. And at that point, they're like, yo, this is going to get real serious. And next thing you know, I look over and Luis, who's on tour with us, he, he like some dude gave him a shotgun out of nowhere. So he's sitting there with a shotgun, pointing at the crowd, and I'm just like, "Oh god damn it!" Yeah, you're like, and maybe I should at that do- point we're like, "Yeah, we should stop playing." Yeah, we're <laughs> we're good here, guys. But Let's wrap this up. It, it was still rad. The yeah. kids were cool. Yeah, people were just wild there, you know. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, at least you got two songs in. <laughs> it was, dude. There's a video of it. It's awesome. I can't believe it. on YouTube. Two songs. No. Oh, okay. Is it on YouTube? I don't know, Scott. <laughs> It should be. That, it's it's somewhere. That's good. That's good. But yeah, it was a. Uh, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Well, for in the UK, they do not allow guns, so no one pulled guns yeah, out. Yeah. Of, yeah. You so you're are, safe here. You guys are a little smarter than the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, in going back to talking about your you know SOS booking and the promotion company that you do with that, I know that I mean you've been doing it for many years and putting on shows. I know for myself, when I first started to either book shows or play shows with my own band, I made really stupid mistakes. Whether it was, I distinctly remember, I went into the box office to get paid the $50 for playing the show or whatever, which is like 100 pounds or whatever. I'm, apologies for the, the exchange rate, but... <laughs> the exchange rate is very wrong. <laughs> exactly. I know. It's the other way around. 25 pounds. Um, but I remember the promoter paying, us, paying me money, and then I walked out of the room. 
he, pull, he yanks me back in and he says, you need to count that money in front of me because the moment that you leave, it's my word against yours and I'm always going to win. I'm like, oh my God, you're right. I'm a stupid child and I have no idea what I'm doing. So anyways, I never, I always counted the money that we got paid for the show after that. Telling that story just trying to uh, inspire some sort of idea where it's like, what mistakes did you make early on from either a show promotion perspective or either playing with Zabalba where it was like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Besides hitting a gun out of a person's hand. Um, I mean, playing with Zabalba alone is a financial liability. <laughs> okay, so we the have, whole band is a mistake. We okay. have lost more money than we've gained. Sure, fair. We, we booked our flights for this tour the week of. Oh, that's... <laughs> That's pretty good. That's very practical. Yeah, Nate. we're not we're not uh, we're not a very financially uh, stable band. Understood. Um, booking shows, you know, the people that do this and book shows for you know, they do it for fun, for the most part. Most people do because it is a very poor choice to to try to book hardcore punk rock shows. <laughs> yes. Um, I owe, I owe more money to the IRS because of booking shows than probably most people, but fuck them. Yep. They'll never find you. Oh, they found me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. But, but at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's, it's been a really cool thing to do. For, it's, it's a hobby for the most part. It's been a really cool process to do. Um, I'm not the only one that does it. There's a, yep. Xavier, our guitar player, played with us. He does a lot of the shows. Yep. Scott used to do a bunch of the shows. Um, and it was, just, it was just something as kids that we just... If you're able to do it, if you're able to try to do it, just like anything else in life, like just fucking do it, just try. Right. And we've been trying for 15 years, and it's it's worked out. Um, but it's cool. Yeah. I mean, because of it, I have many friends because of music. I'm able to tour because of it. Uh, I do what I do for a living now is because of booking shows. You know, like it it led to other things in my life. So sure. I'm very thankful because of that. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, kind of a random question, but I know that, uh, I mean, you came on my show, I think, two or three years ago, but um, we were talking kind of about your, you know, foundation, like as you started to get into hardcore and punk. Um, so I'm going to ask you this question in regards to, can you name a really formative label for you as you started to get into punk and hardcore or a formative release that you were like, dude, once I heard that record, it was over? When I was a kid, everything on New Age Records and... Indecision, new age, everything, everything. Like I think what some of the first shows when I was growing up, going to as a kid, were you know Strife, yep, over my dead body, yep. I love Straight Edge, right? All the Straight Edge bands, dude. Really? That's crazy. Yeah, fuck yeah. I didn't know you were Edge. Okay, I'm not Edge. No, I know you're not Edge now. Yeah, that's clear. But (laughs) but I say till this day, most of my favorite bands are Straight Edge bands. That's good, right? And so so basically every. Can you name a release on either New Age or Indecision that really, I guess, spoke to you where it was like, oh my gosh, like, not Dude, only... That, that, last, that last record that Over My Dead Body did, uh, was it Sink or Swim? Sink or Swim, yeah, the blue yeah, cover. Yeah, I yeah. fucking love that record. Okay. I don't, I don't know why, as a kid, for some reason, that record isn't long, but every single word of that record, like, stuck like glue. Really? Like, I just fucking loved it. <laughs> you could just recite it. That and Strife. Like, Strife is still, like, my favorite band. Unbelievable band. Yeah, great band. Right, right. Um, Because you've toured so many different places around the world, like we were talking about Central America and all these other opportunities, I am sure that there is a distinct difference between American touring, 
touring in the UK, touring in Europe. What would you say is the biggest difference from touring around the world versus touring in America? I mean, touring in America, it's, it's a fucking job. It's, uh, I think a lot of people at, at face value, you look at these bands and you see it as like, oh, this is really cool. Like, they're just playing a show and uh, it's easy. But, you know, a lot of people don't see the back end of, of being in a band and how financially it's fucking hard to do it financially as a living. Because if you're not touring, you're not, play, you're not making money. Um, mentally and physically, it will destroy you. Uh, I think when we wrote Hasta La Muerte and the record after that, the reason why we stopped touring is because you're constantly alone, you're constantly sitting in a van, you're constantly doing stupid shit that like, I'm gonna end up in prison or fucking killing myself. And, it, and it, I know that sounds very harsh, but it's, it's a very lonely space to be in. Yep. And because of that space, we actively made a decision that like, yo, we can't go on tour. Like, I gotta, I gotta go home and kinda keep it, keep it together, you know? Sure. Um, so, when people think about touring in America, it's, you know, you don't have the same, you know, when you go to Europe, you show up, there's a, there's a fucking hotel, there's food <laughs> everywhere, it's fucking beautiful. Yep. Touring in America, do you like, hey, can I have some water, please? <laughs> totally. It's, you know? So, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot more difficult than people think. It's a lot more draining than what people think, you know? Sure. Well, and the idea, too, where, and this is going to sound stupid, but it's like America is really big. (laughs) Like, the idea of people, you know, like, oh, we'll do an East Coast tour or a West Coast tour. Like, that is feasible. But then people are doing full U.S. tours where it's like, I got to go across the Midwest to get to It's like, your country is so damn huge. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can drive for 12 hours and still be in Texas. And it's awful. I mean, no shots against Texas, Dude, but... like, you'll do a tour, and every day, it's like an 8 to 12-hour drive. So, like, you get off stage, drive overnight, make it to tours, and then you're just like, what the fuck am I doing this, dude? You know? Totally. Yeah, it's like, oh, so I, I make it right at doors, and I load onto the stage, and I play immediately, and then load back in the van and drive immediately? Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we were young, it was, it, was, it was super fun. It was right. super... It was like... It was the most lawless thing we could do because when, when we first started touring, dude, like, what's the coolest thing than sitting in a van with a bunch of your friends playing shows and playing music? It's such a free and, like, it's, that feeling is something that you can't replace with anything else. Yeah. So that being said, being young, you're just, you're letting loose every night. You're enjoying it. You're losing money left and right. Yep. But uh, now, as an adult, it's like... Uh, I just I physically and financially can't do it. Right, exactly. The it also seems like the way you portray yourself not only artistically but you know on social media and everything like you've always been pretty, you know, either anti-establishment whether it's like, you know, anti-police, like a lot of the things that are hardwired in us because we get into punk and hardcore. Yeah. And you've never minced your words about it. Um has that always kind of been who you are as a person where it's like, oh, here's the establishment, whatever that may mean, school, government, etc. And you've always been kind of like, nah, I don't want that. You <laughs> know, as, that, a, yeah. as, as a kid, I've always been, you know, as a kid growing up, I, you know, my, I'm a first generation Mexican, you know, in America. 
my family came from Mexico, you know, so I got to witness all that shit, and I got to witness a lot of the, the necessities you need in life that become accessible to most people are not accessible when you're a foreigner, when you're an illegal immigrant. So as a kid, seeing that shit and the fact that it took a toll on my family, I said, fuck, you know, fuck them. Yeah. Straight up fuck them till this day. Sure. Every day. Right. You know, I, I truly believe in the fact that you earn what you keep. And, uh, you know, uh, I try my best to work as hard as I can to look out for the people around me. Because at the end of the day, me trying to get something out of this government isn't going to work. When you, I know when you, when you pay taxes, I'm like, wait, how much am I paying in taxes? What the fuck? What is this going to? I, right. I, 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 what the fuck am I getting back? <laughs> right. You know, like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty fucked up system. And you kind of learn how to navigate through it. But the one thing I will do is, like, I, I don't like it, man. I don't like it and I yep. don't support it. And when you try to talk to me about politics, fuck them all. Yeah. Fuck all them. Totally. You're like not a fan of it all. Not a fan of it. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Fuck, like what the fuck are they doing for me? <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah. I got some real world experience against this. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you was the, uh, you know, touring like you're talking about. You've done your professional life is touring. Um, you've done a lot of touring with your band. There are certain hacks that you do to make it more comfortable for yourself, whether that's like, all right, I got to get the front seat in the van because I know I'm not going to have people farting on me all night or whatever. Yep. I definitely sit shotgun all the time. <laughs> I got the you AC. Go. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what would you say are some of your favorite things? And maybe you can't reveal them because, well, actually, you don't tour as actively with your bandmates anymore, yeah. so you can reveal those secrets. But do you have any sort of hacks that you do to make it more comfortable for yourself? I'm definitely try to be the first one to leave to get to the van okay. to make sure I get shotgun. Okay. Or I definitely try to always be the first one into the space we're sleeping at. So you get the first choice. So I get the first choice. <laughs> we uh, <laughs> the the one rule we did kind of came up with is that if you're driving, yep. you get to you get to pick have the first pick at where you're sleeping. But yep, totally. Yeah, you know it's perfect because yeah, otherwise you're going to get a terrible spot in the van yeah, or in the person's house and it's awful. Yeah. Anyways, thank you very much, Nate, for hanging out. Merchandise is the name of the game and rockabilia.com is the place where you should purchase all of your band merch. I don't care whether you're into classic rock, punk, hardcore, metal, mainstream rock, pop, whatever it is, they got it and they got it in spades. Use this promo code, 100 words or less, that gets you 10% off your entire order of officially licensed band merch. I use that word officially licensed. I'm highlighting that. I'm bolding it. I'm bringing it directly to your ears because it's really important that bands get paid for their hard work because we all know they're not really making money off streaming royalties, (laughs) but band merch is the lifeblood for people of all shapes and sizes, not only you as a consumer, but the band members because that is the way that they get paid. Obviously, they tour, and they sell you merch, and they get paid for that, and it's awesome. So Rockabilia, I love them. I love what they do. They will ship out your merch, lickety-split, get it to you in no time flat. I don't care if it's presents. I don't care if it's for you. Just buy some merch, use the code 100 words or less, and you will benefit. Thank you very much for your continued support, Rockabilia. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. There we go, right? That was a fun discussion with Nate. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate the fact that people were there. I appreciate that you are putting this into your ear holes because uh, you care about independent music. So here is the discussion with Brian from Knock Loose, who arguably uh, they headlined on Friday and they're so good. (laughs) I love the band so much. And it makes me really, really happy to see the amount of people reacting positively to them, their music, and just how they are really becoming a band that regardless if you have listened to or not listened to in the past, you have to reckon with them. You have to understand that they are pushing the boundaries of hardcore forward. And I know this sounds like really hyperbolic and like, oh my gosh, like the most important band in hardcore. Like, can you really say that about Knock Loose? Honestly, I believe that. I believe right now, as far as gateway bands are concerned and bands that are they're pushing forward the ideas that can be presented as far as hardcore and heavy music is concerned, they are one of the, the torchbearers as of right now. So anyways, here's my discussion with Mr. Brian from Knock Loosed, and let's go. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, that was funny. That was great timing, huh, guys? I meant to do that. A true professional. Well, Brian, thank you very much for doing this. This is literally my second live podcast ever, so you get to experience that with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I, I never know. I ne- when I'm just talking, I never know how to 
hold a microphone. Because playing, you know, I'm like this. But then that would be so awkward if I just sat here the whole time. It, well, yeah, I mean, if you did your dog bark into the microphone <laughs> yeah. like that, that would yeah. be a little weird. Yeah. But, I mean, I understand because it definitely, it's a certain way that you hold it when yeah. you are. Cause, yeah, I can't just talk to you like this. <laughs> well, there's, I remember distinctly, um, so you are familiar with the band Bleeding Through from yeah. Orange County. The vocalist Brandon Chipetti, for those of you that are familiar with Bleeding Through, for whatever reason, and we kind of made fun of him about this, not meanly, but he always used to hold the microphone like this. He had a hook on his nose like this. And I don't know why, like it was just comfortable for him. And so I do the I do the hook but right under my nose. So it kind of stops if people are running into me, it stops me right. cuz I've broken my teeth. I've broken my like I've busted my lips open. Like I've done it so many times. So now I kind of like keep like a force field right (laughs) i well that's good because you learn from your mistakes yeah and how many teeth have you actually like i've just broken this middle one a lot (laughs) so just one that gets abused the big one not i said the middle one but it's not in the middle it's just one of my two front teeth right when i was younger i was skateboarding okay and i fell i was like grinding this rail and when i fell i went to catch myself and it kind of just like flung my face into the ground. Okay. And it broke it completely in half. Like I just dusted my whole mouth. Wow. And when they replace it, when they like uh, cap it, yep. it's never like really permanent. <laughs> right. So like s- you can knock it out much easier than if it was like your actual your tooth. Your actual tooth, so right. So I feel like... Once every couple years, I'll do something that knocks it back out. I was gonna, so the first, I was expecting you to say that you were playing a show and you got the microphone knocked into you, but this was just a dumb skating accident. Yeah, before I ever even like held a microphone. Right, before yeah. you're the rock star that you are now. <laughs> well, um, I was actually looking back. So the like I mentioned, I do the, I've been doing this podcast for 10 years, and sometimes I'm like, oh, like Brian, I just had Brian on the podcast like a couple months ago. Our last chat on the podcast, I only usually do it once, 2017. I I was thinking about that, too, because I was like, I was telling somebody in my band that I was doing this. Yep. And I was like, yeah, I did this podcast not that long ago. And I was like, it was for Laugh Tracks, our first record. And I was like, oh, I guess that was very long time ago. Yeah. Very long time ago. Yeah. So 2017. And uh, a lot has changed. Yes. Yes. A lot has changed. People like you a lot more now. They do. I'm very grateful for that, but yes. yeah. And it was uh, the thing. I remember when I had you on and I had a conversation because at that time, Knocked Loose was receiving, like, people liked you guys. I joke about that. But there was this idea where it was like, is Knocked Loose a real hardcore band? Are they, yeah. like, there was that idea where it's like, oh, man, they're just like a pro-core band. Yeah. Or whatever. There was this weird, and I know that you were not immune to it. Like, you heard that, but at the same time, you're just like, we're just like we're just playing in a band. Yeah. And when did you feel not like you're paying attention to all the chatter online or anything like that? When did you feel like people, I guess, like that very vocal minority sort of quieted it down where it's like, oh, you are a legitimate band. Like yeah. you guys are doing it. I feel I, I'm glad that like the me and all my band members never focused too much about that. Yep. And I think that that has a lot to do with where we're from. Like, being from a place that has such a smaller hardcore scene, 
you don't really have any room to turn anything away because it's not cool enough. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? So it's just like if you... It's like the ethics are there, the ethics and morals of what a hardcore band is. And we kind of just took that on the road. And it was a really big debate. And I feel like it wasn't just us. It was anybody. There was this hard line between like metalcore and hardcore and there were some bands that always like blurred that line they got like a pass and it was usually like people being like oh well they don't sound like a hardcore band but they're hardcore dudes right and 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 we were always like you don't know us (laughs) so like we don't get the pass because you just straight up don't know us and i feel like i i swear i it was we took terror out on tour okay it was our very first headliner sure uh it was year of the knife jesus peace terror knocked loose yep and i watched people change their mind i watched people go oh i get it right they're like a hardcore band (laughs) you're like oh you guys aren't just like posers yeah and at that time i like i never needed that validation right but at that time we had proven that we were more than okay without the validation right so i was like you're too late like yeah but but at the same time like i think that it just it obviously helped us grow it obviously opened up like new opportunities for us yep and now we are fortunate enough to play this back and forth where we're in a position where we've been to california twice since touring has been back yep the first time was just two nights at chain reaction and that was just us being like, we want to play a hardcore show. Right. And then the last time that we played California, we did the Fox Theater and um, the Sound and Fury venue. The Belasco? Belasco. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, we, we get to like ride that line of right. like just being able to do whatever we want. And that's all we ever wanted to do was just the freedom to do whatever we want. Sure. No, yeah. and that's... Uh, I'm glad that you witnessed that. Like, you can pinpoint it to a particular tour, but then on top of that, you can say the idea... Like, the actual point of the band is to bring people into this... Because, like, I, this was something I was going to ask a little bit later, but, like, you for sure now, in my opinion, and probably other people's opinions, you guys are definitely a gateway band. People can watch Knock Loose, you know, when you tour with Slipknot, or what, when you're playing these very large shows and be like that's the most aggressive thing I've ever heard in my life. And that's really cool because then they can, you know, find out about all of the things that you guys, you know, talk about on stage or obviously talk about in your lyrics. Like, the world opens up. Yeah. And have you, I'm sure that you've seen that in many respects where it's like, not like, oh, yeah, we're cool, we're a gateway band, but like people have expressed that to you where it's like, I didn't even know what hardcore was until this. Yeah. Well, I will say that, I will say that Hardcore is in a very, very interesting place right now where you have several bands that are pushing the ceiling higher and higher of what hardcore is. It's true. Because you have a band like Turnstile who is on late night television shows. And I'm sure that when Turnstile started as a band, when they wrote out the timeline of what they wanted to do, that was never in the cards. But, But them doing that means that you can watch TV and find what hardcore is now. And when you start a hardcore band, you can shoot for that ceiling. 
you can shoot for maybe one day my mom will see me on TV or Scow playing with Limp Biscuit in Madison Square Garden. Like, hardcore bands don't start to play Madison Square Garden. But that ceiling is now raised, and now, like, we are touring in the fall with Bring Me the Horizon. Yep. And that is, like, something where it's we don't sound like them whatsoever but we're still going to be unapologetically us yeah and it's just raising the ceiling so i'm very i'm very glad that we get to be a part of this era of like the mainstream kind of taking a chance on hardcore absolutely and i think that through that a lot of people find it yep and if you look at what's most popular right now stuff like Suicide Boys, who we're also touring with, we played with them, and their show looked like our show. Sure. Like, people are jumping, people are moshing, and it's like, that's what they want. So then when they see that, they're like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. I need more of this. Right. And that's how they just dive head first. Right. Yeah. And the opportunity, like, the opportunity to be exposed to that was either never given to them, and it's like, yeah, I, I so distinctly remember... I saw Danny Brown in like 2016, 2017, and I hadn't, I don't really engage with mainstream hip hop that much, but watching him, I was like, you could cover my ears, and this is a hardcore show. Yeah. There's we, nothing. We played with Danny Brown. Right. We did like a, a 420 event in New York City <laughs> sponsored by uh, Adidas, and it was us and Danny Brown. Talk about a random yeah. pairing. It was And awesome. 420. Yeah. They hit us up like a week before, and they're like, do you want to come to New York next week? We are like, yeah. Sure. You're like, 420, of course. Yeah. Me, me as a straight-edge individual, I'm just going to light it yeah. up. <laughs> the, um, on that same notion of being able to, like you said, explore different opportunities and do things that you guys feel comfortable with, there's also that idea that you guys keep a pretty tight circle of people you trust and friends and friends bands and stuff like that it definitely doesn't feel like you are like you said trying to fit any molds to be like oh all right we got to be less this because we're playing in front of this crowd yeah and i'm sure that that there's probably been people who are like absolutely hate you guys (laughs) when you play yeah like do you is there a distinct time where you were like oh this this crowd does not like us we tried this didn't work yeah, I I know exactly the the tour. I know the show. Oh, oh, the show. Um, okay. So we did a tour with a day to remember. Okay. And I, I want to say first that the tour was amazing. Sure. It was the crowd was very very receptive to us, but every now and then, of course. You, I mean, you have people there for a day to remember. They're essentially a a pop band. Absolutely. Um, and we played in New Orleans at like Hara's Casino. Okay. And I was like, what's up? How's everybody doing? And there's a group of people in the front row just going... <laughs> Thumbs down. Don't. Yeah. We're not doing well. And at the end of the set, I remember being like, we're knocked loose. We'll see you next time. And somebody went, no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was like, that tour was the closest we've ever been to being like heckled. Sure. And... um it was it was funny like it never got to us obviously but um, yeah there was there was a photographer there with a day to remember his okay. name is like Hartley he's an Australian guy okay. and um, 
he was like, do you care if I shoot your set? And I was like, yeah, for sure. And he was like, I want to shoot Barricade every night. So every night he took pictures of people at the Barricade that were like bummed. (laughs) And like... I'm up yeah. front because I want to see Jeremy from a day yeah, to remember. Exactly. Not this idiot yelling in a microphone. Exactly. And he would buy these like sheets of wood yeah. that were like six and a half feet tall. And he would like print out all the pictures that he took and kind of paper mache them onto this wood. So by the end of the tour, a day to remember's merch area had like, it was like a museum almost. But then he had one for us. And I remember the centerpiece was this girl on the barricade just doing this. <laughs> just so sad. So just so sad. And, like, there were some that, which I always love, but there were some people that were, like, legitimately afraid. They're just, like, and right? I love that. Like, I feed into it. And oh. if I see that you're, like, afraid, I'll just, like, fuck with you. Because then you'll never forget the show. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, like... That's like straight up like high school talent show stuff where yeah. it's like, you know, your classmates have no idea you play in a band and then you get up there and you yell at them and they're just like, what is Brian? Like, it's scary. Yeah. And then you just lean into it. Yeah. Just <laughs> lean into it. I, I, do you still have those pictures? Those sound incredible. I, I feel like I could track them down, but yeah. I don't have them on me. I could just easily. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do you know the famous picture of title fight playing Coachella? Oh, yes. And it's the people crowd surfing on top of all the girls with, like, beads in their hair. And they're totally. like... Totally. Exactly. It's yeah. like, yeah, the, every year Coachella has the one or two bands where you're like, oh, so those are the ones that are going to bump them yeah. out. Oh, yeah. Deaf Heaven's playing? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's like, oh, yeah. painful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one of these days, I look forward to you guys bumming more people out on a mainstream festival. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm all for it. <laughs> totally. I'm all for it. Um. Some, a, a big change in your life personally is I know that you have you officially relocated to Los Angeles or is that I have yeah that was like a mid pandemic spur of the moment decision okay just going crazy sure me and my girlfriend one day were just like fuck it let's go got it and I feel like we we had that conversation like let's do it and then, like, two months later, I was driving across the country, and I was like, oh, we're really doing this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, so you weren't kidding about this. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, the when, obviously, when you are in a band that is touring most of the year, you do have the opportunity to, like, not all live in the same area. Yeah. And then, you know, rehearse and yeah. get ready for tours. Which, is, which was brand new for us, because we've always lived in the same county, let alone the same city. Like, we've always just been within 10 minutes of each other. Right. And we used to be a band that just practiced five days a week. Like, we were like, we're here, we're close. Like, so that definitely was, like, interesting. But it was also in a time period where, like, the first nine months of me living there, we didn't play shows because shows just didn't exist. Totally. We did a live stream that actually allowed them to come out to California and stay with me and then film it there and um which was fun and yeah it, it's been it's been a learning experience for sure it's yeah in case you all didn't know louisville and los angeles are very different <laughs> they they are very we, we were talking about two very different towns and yeah. that's why i was curious about how you're especially because i the idea of you moving away from your bandmates and that idea of like hey, this could change the dynamics. Yeah. And, like, that fear could 
play a real thing. Well, it's also it's also not permanent. I know right. I know that like my preferred area of the United States is Kentucky. Like the yep. woods, the fall, like I, I love it. It's what I've always known and I knew that I wanted to try the major city and then when I'm ready to settle down I will go back home. Sure. Right. You get yeah, you got your you can set your roots down there. Yeah. Um, there, because like you're talking about where, um, this is actually, this is a story I'll share that actually I witnessed when I went, went to see you guys at the Fox Theater on your last headliner in the U.S. It was really weird because I actually saw, um, you, someone stole from your merch table. Your girlfriend stopped them, kicked them out of the show. It was probably one of the most badass moments I've ever seen. She was just like, you stole sweatshirts, get the hell out of here. Yeah. She got security. I was like, Wow. But it made me not only really uncomfortable, not your girlfriend's reaction, but just the idea that someone would steal merch from a band who's headlining the show just felt super weird. And like something that you wouldn't like, you know, at a 200 cap venue, someone wouldn't steal. Yeah. (laughs) And so that has happened, though. So to to us. Right. Yeah. Like I remember one time years ago, we played a room in Colorado Springs that was maybe... 300 cap room uh-huh. and as soon as we set up someone took a hat off of our table so we took the hats down uh-huh. knowing that okay if we see this hat they're the only person that has it and they were stupid enough to wear it and this was before Taylor toured with us right. and we had a merch guy named Carson and he just walked up to the dude and like yanked it off of his head and pressed him or whatever and right. it, Everything's fine now, but yeah, he got the hat back. Okay, the the reason I was I was kind of bringing up that story was the fact that you know when you are introducing people to the idea of like what a hardcore show is, the ethics and that sort of stuff. Like clearly, people could come to your show that have no connection to it. Yeah, and so like that's that's what made me feel where I was like, what are you doing? Why are you stealing from? Yeah. The, you're stealing from the headliner band. Like well, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Um, so I'm sure there's that thought of like trying to balance the idea of like who we are as a band and what we're putting out and then obviously the because you can't control the crowd that gets into yeah. you so i'm sure there's been has there been conversations or just like thought processes in your head of like how can we do our best to sort of manage that or is it i think that it's just so we've never been like an outwardly um we just don't talk a lot like if sure. you look at our social media it's bare bones hey, we're playing shows and this is where they're at. Hey, this show was awesome. And I feel like the the bigger we got and the more we played to people that weren't really like hardcore adjacent, yep. the more it kind of made all of us want to be a little bit more outspoken. And, it, and especially in such a politically sensitive climate, sure. it's made it to where it's like, back in the day, I didn't have to... Back in the day, I didn't think about shouting things out like dedicating a song to women that are involved in hardcore. And that's because uh, where I'm from, a woman runs the scene and there are women that are a part of it. And it's just always been normal to me. But then I we're playing stages where like women are, I mean, obviously treated different in every single yep. aspect of their life, unfortunately. And I was like, oh, now I have to say this. Now that it's not easy to say this, 
I have to say this. And that goes with everything politically, really. And it was really interesting to see... I mean, we're in, like, mid-pandemic. Everything that was going on with politics in America, we did a shirt raising money for nonprofits in our area. And on Facebook, the day one, there was 1,000 comments and 900 of them were on the opposite side of our political beliefs. Wow. And I was like, when did this happen? Sure. Like, how did you not know that this is what I believe already? Sure. And it's... I, I, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a strong enough speaker to be at the face like to to use the stage as an opportunity to like really like spread my political beliefs but it definitely put something in me that was like we just have to be unapologetically ourselves no matter who we're playing in front of right even if it's not easy sure well it's like the i mean clearly knock loose isn't a quote-unquote political band you're not rise against yeah that I, i always laugh when it's like rise against or rage against the machine you see people being like i used to like you guys until i found out about your politics it's like what are you talking about like how could you miss that yeah and it's like it would be a different story if it was someone like maybe interacting with you guys or another band that doesn't yeah. have as outwardly of a political belief. But yeah. it's still funny where you're just like, so face like this is a cesspool here. Like yeah. Facebook hates us. <laughs> yeah, we just we need to be careful. Pe- with this. People just being like uh, telling us like, well, I'm no longer a fan, and I was, I'm like, okay, good, <laughs> totally. I don't have room for you in my life. Like yeah. Um, it was it was interesting. Yeah, my yeah. my dad, who only sees Facebook, called me and was like, "You're done." <laughs> he was like, "What are you gonna do?" He was like, "You gotta apply for some jobs or something." I was like, "Dad, this, it's just Facebook." That's amazing. He's like, "Bride, you gotta hang it up, bud. That microphone yeah. isn't gonna cut it for you." Well, my, my my dad, both both my parents are like they support me every step of the way yep. and. Uh, I had to explain to my dad, like, this is why we did this. And he was like, I stand by you and I agree with you. But just, like, the father in him was panicking because he, like, wanted to protect me. But he was just like... Yeah. To him, he was like, this is the end. Right. (laughs) Why are you abusing my son? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's so adorable. Um, When you are talking about... This kind of goes... Like, when we were talking uh, the last time we did a podcast... um, there was the idea of, you know, as you started to find out about hardcore and like, you know, your entry points and everything like that, can you go back and think about a, either a label or a band that was really influential to being like, oh, this opened my eyes up to this whole world that was not, I, I, yeah. I was not aware of before. Um, I, I'm going to give three and it, and it goes in levels. Okay. From like first, sec- so first was Hey Breed because... I watched Headbangers Ball every Saturday. Classic. And Jamie Josta was the host. And I remember him premiering the music video for Defeatist. And I I wrote it down in a notebook. I was like, I have to remember this. <laughs> um, that was unlike anything that I had heard at the time. Sure. From there, it was Terror. Okay. Because Terror is a band that is always... Same same mindset as us they'll play whatever they want and they stay the same no matter what so i got the opportunity to see terror playing stuff that i was familiar with and it kind of pulled me over and then i would say a band from our hometown another mistake 
because another mistake was just like at the core just 100% DIY hardcore and being from a place that's so small I remember the first time I saw another mistake when they were done playing the singer came to me and he was like I've never seen you before what's your name introduced himself to me he said he liked my power trip shirt <laughs> and he said uh this was in 2011, maybe. Okay. And he was like, I'm going to see Power Trip tomorrow in Cincinnati, which is two hours from me. And I didn't have, even have a driver's license. And this is the first time I ever met him. And he was like, I'm going to see Power Trip tomorrow with Bitter End. Do you want to ride with me? And that's just, that is a perfect representation of what Louisville is like. Sure. Because it's small. So it's like, if you're interested in this, you have to come around. And... My friend Scott, who's probably 10 years older than me, gave me a flyer one time, and I went, oh, I wish I could go, but I, I don't have a car. And he was like, I'll come get you. And I'm 30 minutes outside of Louisville, and he would come and pick me up and take me to shows. And so, like, Tyler and Scott were two people that were, like, heavily involved in, like, molding me into being, like, a hardcore kid. Right. And, like, learning the ethics and, like, learning, like... You can't be too cool in a place like Louisville. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And another mistake, like, is a very, very important band to me and the, everybody in my band, really. Yeah. I love that story because I think it, we all, especially when we go to shows so often, you lose, it becomes a routine. And when you have that kid that it's their first show or second show, you sometimes, like, you just either look over it or, like, yeah. you know, that, just that beautiful touch point like your life could have been completely different if it yeah. wasn't like oh hey come back to a show yeah. it's like i feel welcome here thank yeah. you thank you sir exactly and and i kind of took that like i put that in my brothers as much as i could because i have two younger brothers they're my best friends in the whole world right uh like not even on like a family level like they are legitimately my best friends they're cool dudes yeah right? <laughs> um and we weren't super close and one time I just Dallas was maybe 11 12 years old I was like I'm going to a show tonight do you want to go and he was like sure and he went with me and he was so uncomfortable I remember he just sat he just stood on the side like this he didn't know what to do. He didn't bob his head or anything. I kept checking on him, like, are you good? And um, and on the way home, I, I said, did you have fun? And he said, yes. And I said, you always have a ride. You'll never miss another show. If you want to go to a show, you're allowed to go with me no matter what. Right. And he just never stopped going. And then my youngest brother, Trey, was a little bit harder to convince. He was into his own thing. He was into, like, sports and wrestling. And yeah, real nerdy stuff. No, <laughs> and um, I don't remember the year, but God's Hate and Terror toured together, and they played Spinelli's, which is a very important hardcore venue for us at home. And for anybody that hasn't heard of Spinelli's, it's not even half the size of this tent. Yeah. It, it holds maybe 90 people, and the singer of God's Hate is a wrestler. So I told Trey, I said, hey, I know that you don't care but this guy wrestles, you should see him sing for a band. And then I was like, also, Terror in Spinelli's is going to be legendary for Louisville. Um, so he was like, okay, I'll go. 
and it just clicked. And I told him the same thing. I said, you'll never miss a show again. If you, if you want to go, you can go with me. You don't even have to ask. Right. And now Dallas does merch for Terror, and Trey plays drums in Dare, and he plays Outbreak on Sunday. Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. hey, well, that's because I gave you a ride to your first show, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the last thing I wanted to hit on was the... Um, you know, the difference between, because you've toured all across the world now, and I've obviously done varying levels of, you know, crappy van tours to, you know, maybe more comfortable bus tours. What are some hacks that you bring along from a, you know, either I got to be the first person to the van to get shotgun or whatever, something that is you do to make your life a little bit more comfortable because, you know, touring, it's, it's an endurance test sometimes. Yeah. Um Something that I'm still trying to learn is to not overpack. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm an extremely self-conscious person. Okay. I'm the kind of person that I'll get dressed and five minutes later I'm like, this sucks. I have to, I have to change my entire yeah. outfit. So I would go on tour and I would bring just so much stuff. But now, like, I, it's what I try to tell my brothers and I only halfway live by it, but I'm just like underpack. Like, you won't wear everything you bring. Right. Just underpack. So now I just bring, like, with me I have, like, ten plain white t-shirts and a bunch of socks and underwear. Right. And I'll, I'll make do. Right. You're like, yeah. I, got, I got my pair of jeans as yeah. long as no one spills beer on it. Like, I'm yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you very much. Give it up for yeah. Brian, everybody. Thank you. There we go. That was the first live podcast that I ever did in my life. And I will be bringing you some future episodes with other conversations because I actually counted up how much time I, uh, I dedicated to recording these interviews live at Outbreak Fest. And it was like four and a half hours. I did a lot of interviews that weekend and it was really, really fun. So special shout out to Simone who helped me capture the audio at this particular stage. He not only was a great dude, but captured all the audio appropriately. I loved it. So uh, yeah, shout out to him specifically, and then shout out to the whole Outbreak Fest team for bringing me over there and making this cool thing happen for me and you as a listener and all of my guests. So next week, I have Adam McGrath from Caven. Caven just put out Heavy Pendulum, which is probably going to be one of my favorite records of the year. I love what the band does. I've been obsessed with them for years. I've seen them 30 plus times. I I just I love Caven. I love what they do. I am so impressed that they have been able to overcome all of the personal tragedy that they have gone through to be able to create this compelling new record that's I mean 10 plus years that they had not released any new music. So I had to have Adam on because I had uh, Mr. Brodsky on many, many moons ago. But uh, Adam, you know, I want to give him some shine. Wanted to know more about him. So that's what we got for the show next week. Until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 